Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 1.19 says, Write the things you've seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after that. And I think that's as good an outline for the book as any. It's the one the book gives to us. And uh, the things which you have seen, John had seen that first vision of Christ, and so he wrote that down for us. And we took a look at that and have uh, examined it, the things which are. That's where we are now. That's the present church age for John and the church age for us. And so the seven churches are the things which are. We are looking at them now. We will move on uh, in chapter 4 and see the things which will take place after this. And so we're going to use that as our outline. It all begins with Christ being revealed in the church age, uh, moving among the churches. And so uh, that's what we're going to look at now. He is moving and ministering to the churches. He has a word for these churches. Uh, We've said many times these churches, of course, were real churches that existed in real cities uh, with real elders who led them and people who uh, participated in that worship. Uh, They are also a type of church for all the time. So because this is the present time for John, uh, present time for us, we still see these types of churches. This message is still very relevant for us as we see the things Jesus has to say that are positive and the things that he has to say that are negative about the church uh, that he has left during this church age. Now, we saw chapter 2, verse 1, uh, the church at Ephesus and the Ephesus-type church. And they have right doctrine, we saw. Uh, they have lost, though, their first love, a passionate love for Christ. And we saw that all the other things that they did, uh, they couldn't bear evil people, they couldn't bear false prophets and false teachers, and they endured and they were faithful to sound doctrine. All of those things did not uh, balance back the scales for the fact that they had lost a passionate love for Christ, and he exhorted them to regain those things which they had lost. Uh, we saw in Revelation 2.8, the second church was the Smyrna type of church, certainly the church in Smyrna and that type of church, and nothing negative is said about this church because this church we saw is a church what? Under persecution, and a persecuted church is a pure church. Uh, no one who is kind of on the border, no one who just kind of wonders whether or not they really believe, no one who's just kind of on the fringe and just kind of critical of what's going on there and not really caring about whether they go or not, is going to stick around when it's going to cost a lot if you do. And so this church is not uh, chastised in any way, but is encouraged as a faithful church. We see Revelation 2:12 through 17, the third church, is the church at Pergamum. And uh, we saw just a few fast facts about that. It was Satan's base of operation, according to Christ. He knew that that was uh, Satan's stronghold going on close to that church. Lots of temptation in the church. This is the church with members that Christ has to fight against. How would you like to be known as a church like that? That Christ has to come and fight against some of the members uh, where people who did not come out of the world, where they cater to the world and accommodate worldly things and they go along with everything that's happening in society. And so then we moved on, verse 18 of chapter 2. The fourth kind of church we saw there was the church at Thyatira. And that Thyatira church is the church that tolerates sin. That's the church that won't discipline sin, a church that won't purify its ranks, a church that thought they had a deep knowledge, quote-unquote, of God, but they did not. Uh, A church that, for a big part, is immoral in its practice, but, uh, Jesus adds, there are some who are not. And then we have a message to the one who is an overcomer. Verse 26 of chapter 2. Just back up there if you would. I love this, and this is where we ended last time. And this encouragement comes, uh, these types of closings come at the end of each exhortation to the church, to the faithful ones who are there, uh, to remember uh, the things that are important. He says, he who overcomes, of course, John gave us that exact definition in uh, 1 John, that who, the one who has faith is the one who overcomes, uh, one who's a born, who is born again, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, and remember, 
uh, as we saw this morning, right, those who are righteous can do that, right? They can keep Christ's deeds. They can do the things they're supposed to do because they have uh, a new, uh, they're a new creation. He keeps my deeds until the end. To him, I will give authority over the nations, he says. Verse 27, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I also have received authority from my father. Now, we know who an overcomer is. John gives us that example. Uh, there will be some authority given through Christ, and I love that. And lots of information here that you can just kind of uh, uh, underline. As you're studying through this, these are things that you'd pick up. Hey, that's some, that's some neat stuff he just got through saying. Uh, there is a promise to those who overcome that they will rule with Christ. And as, and as we are able to be under authority, that's the, that's the caveat, right? He who keeps my deeds and do, does what I say, in proportion to that, he will be in authority. See, so it's in proportion to what we can, as we submit to the Lord, I think really in a very real sense, that's the proportion that we'll get to lead and get to rule. So we're faithful to submit. He'll also give us an opportunity to lead and to rule. And reign in your life then, keep his deeds through the word dwelling in you richly. And you will have opportunity then for, for, uh, for glory with Christ. They will receive, uh, it says, the nations as an inheritance. Those that oppose Christ's own, uh, Scripture tells us, will be destroyed. Those that belong to Christ will help in the judgment. The authority Christ has from his Father, he gives to some of those who overcome. And there are a number of parallels uh, in the Scriptures, and we could look at just uh, dozens of them, but Psalm 2, 8, and 9 just kind of stuck out. It's a messianic psalm. Notice the parallel. It'll be on the screen. Verse 8, Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, speaking of Christ, uh, and the very ends of the earth as your possession, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. That authority is given to Christ. And we see now a very full sense as we read the book of Revelation. We understand that that authority is passed down to whom? To those who keep their de- his deeds. Okay? So it's a cool thing to think about. Uh, those that overcome receive it. Matthew 5.5, 5, same idea is expressed uh, here. Submit and inherit, right? Blessed are the meek. For they shall what? Inherit the earth. Now, the, the Lord doesn't put anything in there that's just superfluous, does he? He tells us exactly, uh, as we study through, we, get, uh, we begin to gather knowledge about what the future will look like. And we get that all through, the, all through the Word. But as we get into the New Testament, we see the mysteries being revealed, and we see fuller knowledge of these things that the prophets spoke about. Uh, we get to see some of these really neat things, promises for those who are overcomers. Verse 28 says... And I will give him the morning star. And that's a neat, uh, that's a neat thought. We've heard that before. Second uh, Peter 1.19 tells us that when we come to faith, uh, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. And that's pretty neat. That's a neat imagery. And we see then some, at some point then we get to have him in all his fullness. And uh, we're going to get to have that in that day. Now, Revelation chapter 2, verse 29 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Always the exhortation to hear what the Spirit says with the implication that we are to what? To do, right? Because that's what the book says. Blessed is he who hear, who reads and hears and does the things written in it. And that's always the connection, isn't it? We don't want to be just hearers only. We saw that this morning. That's always condemnation comes with hearing only. Hearing and doing the things that are written herein. Living that way. Now, let's look at Revelation chapter 3 and we'll read all the way through verse 6 and we'll stop. We'll come back and look at this uh, church in Sardis, okay? Actually, no, that's not... Uh, where are we? Yeah, all right. <clears throat> Chapter 3, verse 1. We'll go 1 through 6, and we'll look at Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, 
He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you were dead. Verse 2, wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So, remember what you've received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you will not know at what time, what hour I will come to you. Verse 4, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pause right there. What kind of city is the city at Sardis? You can find this in your notes, just some fast facts as we've uh, been our habit to do as we work through the churches. Uh, this is a wealthy city. Its wealth is based on the gold found in the river uh, Pactolus, which flowed through the middle of the city. Uh, the prosperity of Sardis also resulted in part by being in a location that was an important trade route, uh, famous for woven textiles, mostly wool. And as we said before, many times in the promise of the blessing, uh, we will see references to some of the main things that happened in the city. And here's a perfect example. Uh, we're told in verses 4 and 5 that those who uh, overcome will be clothed in white garments, right? And we know that this city was famous for its wool garments. And so you'll get to be really white. You're going to get truly have the right kind of clothing. And so you see all the time as uh, the Lord talks to the cities that, uh, talks to the churches that are in these cities, he many times makes reference back to things that the city is known for. Uh, and earthquakes go on with Sardis. Uh, an earthquake destroyed most of this Hellenistic city in A.D. 17. It never fully recovered its previous glory. Tradition says, just as a footnote, that the famous author Aesop came from here. Uh, he lived 620 to 560 B.C. And finally, the temple to Artemis was here, and that uh, temple is identified with the Roman goddess Diana. Now, uh, there's a number of slides you can get from uh, part of the old ruined city. There should be one up there uh, in just a moment. But uh, to the angel in the church of Sardis write, and who is the angel? Remember, uh, uh, that's the word for messenger. And so he's speaking not to an angel as you would imagine an angel, but this word messenger is uh, speaking of a man, particularly the elder or pastor of this church, uh, angels are not in charge of the church. People are, aren't they? they go, the Lord gave charge to men. And so these are all written to those who lead these churches. Uh, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Now, who is that? The one who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We already identified this person. This is Jesus. These are always the words that he has to give. And so he's identified in many different ways uh, by his character traits. But here, particularly, it's referring to Jesus. I know your deeds, he says that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. They had great former glory. Uh, they had the appearance and reputation of beauty, this church did, of vitality. And so at some point in time, they had some kind of glory. They were doing well, but they are actually dead. And when you speak of that, remember that now the majority of the church is unredeemed, unregenerate people. Verse 2, Wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Now, if you remember... Uh, we talked about this before. The Lord is constantly examining what goes on inside his church. He's doing it right now. That's an awesome thing to think about. As you come to church, realize the Lord ministers in this church, Christ himself. He uh, walks around, looks at what's going on. He examines the hearts of men and women, what's happening in the hearts. Uh, is the word of God being proclaimed clearly? Is it being heard and done? Uh, Christ is constantly doing that. 
And remember in Thyatira, he said, your deeds of late are better than the deeds before. And so he's constantly aware of what's going on in the church. But here in Sardis, he says just the opposite. He says, I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. In fact, they've done worse, uh, not better. And so the, in the ongoing evaluation of deeds, uh, Christ says they're severely lacking. Okay, And that was not to be surprising because the majority of the church is unredeemed. So unredeemed can't do deeds that are pleasing to the Lord, right? So it's only a few that are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Verse 3, so remember what you've received and heard and keep it, right? So it's not just received and not just heard, right? We don't want to be, once again, what? Hearers only, but doers. Remember what you've received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Now, that coming like a thief is always connected with coming in judgment in the New Testament. And so we understand as he says, I'm going to come like a thief, realize he's saying, I'm going to come in judgment. And you're not going to know when I'm going to show up, just like a thief would show up and uh, be in your home and you didn't realize he was coming. And there he is. Uh, Christ says, I'm going to come and wake up and do what you're supposed to do and repent or I'm going to come in judgment. Okay, change your ways before it's too late, basically. Now, look at verse four. But you have a few people uh, in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. Isn't that great? Even in this church that uh, appears to be dead, uh, there are some who are doing what they're supposed to do. There are not many, but the Lord has recognized them and he hasn't forgotten them and he hasn't lumped them in with the whole. Okay? He understands they're doing what they're supposed to do. Now, what kind of church is the church at Sardis? Let's make some notes. Let's just kind of jot down some things that stick out as we pull this information from this message uh, to that, the person who leads this church. It is the present age for John. It's the present age for us. All right? We're still in the church age. We still see these types of churches. This church has a reputation for being alive, but God knows they're really dead. They may look alive on the outside, but God can tell the difference. All right? It's good to know that. And uh, it had a few things, a few things that were still living, but verse 2 says they're about to die. They are instructed to wake up and change their ways before it is too late. Repent, turn, and confess. And a dead church, perhaps you've seen some, maybe you came from one. It may not look dead on the outside. It may look glorious on the outside. Uh, but on the inside, nothing's happening. Uh, no life, no spiritual growth, no production, no fruit, no joy. Those things are absent because those things are works that the Holy Spirit does inside the church, right? Christ is at work monitoring the church, and when things are alive, there is fruit being produced, there are people being discipled, there is spiritual growth, there is production, there is ministry going on, uh, a ministry that uh, resembles the ministry that Scripture has given us, okay? So here, he says it's dead. On the outside, looks alive, but nothing of any value eternally is happening on the inside. Verse 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, as you look at your notes, these are all figures of speech that relate to eternal life. Okay? And you can catch them, I think. He who overcomes, we know that that relates to what? Someone with faith. Uh, he will be clothed in white garments. We understand that that is uh, a figure of speech that relates to, in context, uh, salvation. Uh, he will, I will not erase his name from the book of life. And that's an interesting thing. People always say, well, then you can lose your salvation. No. Uh, that's not what it means. The book of life is a journal from eternity past that holds the names of all those that God has chosen to redeem. Okay? Scripture is absolutely full of cross-references. I'm going to give you a few. I'll go slowly. You can copy some down. 
because I think it's important that you read this. This is a term you see many times in the book of Revelation, and you see it in other places as well, and you might think, well, if it's there, can it be blotted out? It's not. Uh, that's not possible for someone who's redeemed. But it is a figure of speech indicating that they are redeemed. Now, here's a few cross-references. Just in the book of Revelation only, Revelation 13, 8, 17, 8, 20, 12, and 15, 20, 27. The book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 1, still there. Luke 10, verse 20. Philippians 4, verse 3. Hebrews 12, 23. My personal favorite, and this is one I really encourage you to read, Malachi 3, 16. Those are all cross-references. There are many that we could look at. Those are the, were the high points for me. Those are the ones I enjoy the most and have the most clarity as you cross-reference these things. Now remember, as we said, when we're studying the, the text and we understand grammatically what it's saying, uh, we can cross-reference that. Let's make sure we've got that right, okay? And we chase around the New Testament and chase around the Scriptures and say, okay, yes, this is what it means. Yes, this is what it's talking about. It is a figure of speech, and figures of speech are in the Scriptures. They are can be contextually translated and understood, and so we understood that. Now, erasing is what a city official would do, and people knew this in these ancient times. City officials would erase somebody's name who became undesirable to claim citizenship to the city. All right, And so somebody goes out and makes a very bad name for themselves, goes out and does something that uh, is shameful or a shameful act of some kind, uh, and they would become one that you'd want to erase the name. Okay, But those who are redeemed can never do that, can they? So your name will never be erased from the book of life, right? Because all of our wickedness, all of our ungodliness, all of our uh, poor choices, all of the sin of our life has been laid uh, on Christ. And the punishment for all that is there. And so that is why this is one of those figures of speech that relates to eternal life. And then finally, the confession of the name of the individual before God and the angels is very common for those who know Christ. They always get their name confessed before God and the angels. Matthew 10 and verse 32, Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also what? Confess him before my Father who is in heaven, right? Everybody who confesses me before him before men gets their name confessed before my Father in heaven. Is that cool or what? So when you go out and you witness and confess Christ's name before men, your name is getting confessed before the Father in heaven because Christ is right there, isn't he? Making intercession. And that's just a neat thing to think about. And once again, one of those things as you read through the Word, make some notes of things like this. These are, these are really neat illustrations that describe your relationship to the Lord and how secure it is. And people ask me, uh, on a regular basis, you know, can you give me one verse that proves that we have salvation forever? And my comment back is always, how about a top 50 or a top 100? This is not a marginal doctrine, okay? This is all through the Scripture woven into things that are said constantly there. Plus, it's the nature of God. If He promises you something once, He doesn't ever change, does He? He promises it to you forever. Look at how He dealt with Israel. I will fulfill my covenant with you, he says, not because you've done what you're supposed to do, but because I will be true to my own name, right? And so it's marvelous to think how God is so faithful and then has so many neat things to say. He who has an ear to hear, verse 6 of chapter 3, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
Listen closely. What an encouraging thing it is. He says, uh, set up and take notice. Listen to the warnings. Listen to the instructions that are true for the whole church age. All right? We want uh, understanding, don't we? To be able to discern those types of things and understand the type of church that we are and the type of individual that we are. Let's look at verse chapter 3, verse 7. We'll read all the way through verse 13. This is the sixth church, the church of Philadelphia. <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one, will, and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Verse 9. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who, has over, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That is one rich passage right there. And just the descriptions of Christ and the descriptions of the redeemed alone are so full. Let's, let's dig in here in the time we have left, all right? What kind of city is the city in Philadelphia? city of Philadelphia? It's the modern city of Allah Sha'ir. Uh, the region here was subject to earthquakes very frequently. Uh, so frequently, in fact, that new cracks in the city wall would appear daily and few citizens actually lived in the city. Repairs were required frequently to homes and businesses, which kept many of the citizens very poor, constantly having to repair the places, their business, and, their, and where they would live. Philadelphia was one of 12 cities leveled in a great earthquake of AD 70, along with Sardis. The land surrounding Philadelphia was fertile. Uh, vintage area, the vintage of that area uh, was famous. History records for us that 11 Philadelphian Christians died as martyrs along with Polycarp of Smyrna during that same kind of purging, if you will. Uh, there are many uh, old mosques in the city. A particular one is believed to be the native, by native Christians to have been, uh, of course, you can go ahead and go to that picture if you would, Grant. Of course, before it was a mosque, uh, the church which assembled the Christians addressed in Revelation, uh, that building right there is, is believed to have been, uh, by the native Christians, to have been the church where they were originally assembling. Uh, Philadelphia was near a region where Montanism, or the new prophecy, arose uh, after the middle of the second century, emphasizing the imminent uh, return of the Great Tribulation and uh, the descent of the New Jerusalem, which was uh, supposed to alight in Papuza, 70 miles east of Philadelphia. Montanism is uh, something we might talk about another time as we talk about tongues. It's one of the times throughout the church history where it sprung up. It was connected with a cult. Everybody rejected it and realized it wasn't true but uh, it drew its inspiration from Revelation and possibly emphasized the prophetic proclamation to the Philadelphian church. But anyway, those are just kind of some footnotes that you can know 
about uh, Philadelphia. Now, let's look at verse 7. And to the angel, right, once again, the messenger, the leader, the elder of the, of the church, uh, in Philadelphia, right, he who is holy, uh, who is true, who has the key of David. Isn't that great? He who is holy, and God has said, my name is holy. We understand that uh, holiness is uh, his character trait. Who is true uh, and who has the key of David? That's, that's really symbolic of the entrance to the kingdom. Uh, the true holder of the, of the kingdom gate, uh, the keys to the kingdom gate, is Jesus himself. Who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. Uh, and that's a great illustration of the uh, sovereignty of the Lord in all things. He opens it, doesn't get closed. He closes it, it doesn't get open. He's in charge. He listens. He sees. He knows. Uh, this is Christ. His purposes are always accomplished. And that's great to think about. I know your deeds, verse 8. Because God keeps track of those things, and we see that over and over. I know your deeds, right? We saw in Romans this morning, uh, God keeps track and he judges according to deeds. And we see that all through the scriptures. Uh, righteous deeds show that there's been a change of the heart of the individual. Ungodly deeds, selfish deeds, self-centered deeds as a life pattern show there's been no change. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door. What kind of deeds must they be? Well, he's going to open a door that nobody can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. God, Christ has given them a great opportunity. Uh, this is a church that doesn't appear to have a whole lot of power, and yet, they seem to be able to do some awesome work. And we know churches like that, don't we? See, you've been involved, probably, or seen churches that are like that. A church that doesn't seem to have a lot to offer, and yet seems to be doing a fantastic ministry. Because Christ knows what goes on, and He's the one who empowers them to do it, Right? And so as we think about churches we want to be like, this certainly has to hit in the top, doesn't it? You want to be a church like that, right? You want to be known as a church that didn't appear to have a lot of power, but really did, because Christ opened doors and they could do things they never could have done before. I know your deeds. Behold, I put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power, kept my word, and have not denied my name. So this church is really, uh, that is a wonderful accolade for them. Christ has given them a great opportunity or a continued opportunity to proclaim the word. Look at verse 9. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, I'll make you come and bow down, I'll make them come and bow down at your feet, and make them know that I have loved you. This is a group of Jewish believers who uh, were active in false accusations uh, against the believers here and elsewhere. These are not true Jews at all, so they, we know that they are um, apostate. But anyway, they call themselves Jews, but they're not really Jews. Uh, they practice, uh, they would have false accusations against this church. They would uh, uh, comment that they, they, they practice cannibalism. Every time they take the Lord's Supper, they're eating one, devouring one another. Uh, they won't obey Caesar, constantly trying to get them in trouble. Uh, the Lord says, look, I'm going to bring this. Even your enemies are going to be submissive to you. Uh, I can make that happen. Verse 10. Because you've kept the word of my perseverance, literally, you obeyed my command to endure. You just stuck with it. You did what you were supposed to do. And often I comment um, for folks as we talk about uh, a ministry in the church, it's not always easy, is it? It's not always fulfilling immediately. Sometimes we labor for long periods of time and don't see much result, it appears, at least not on the outside. Well, listen, when we stand before Christ, he's not going to ask some questions. Some of those questions he won't ask would be, were you happy? Did you feel fulfilled, right? He's not going to ask those questions, beloved. He's not going to say, you know, did you feel connected to everybody? You know, were you appreciated? 
See, those are not the questions he's going to ask. That'll be a big surprise to many, okay, in this age of kind of a consumer mentality towards the church. You know, give me what I want. I think I'm going to split, right? I mean, the Lord wants me to be happy, right? Listen, the Lord wants you to be faithful. Were you faithful? That's the question he'll say. Did you endure, right? What are we seeing all through here? Did you persevere? Did you stick with it even though it didn't appear to be uh, ever, anybody appreciated it? Did you give your ministry as a gift? Did you use your spiritual gifts and encourage the church? Did you use what you, I've given you to see the church advance? Did you find a place? Did you show hospitality even though it was hard? Did you find somebody to minister to? See, these are the questions the Lord will ask and He'll already know the answers, of course. And we will either joyfully say, yes, Lord, I did those things, or shamefully say, Lord, no, I missed those things, even though I knew I was supposed to do them. I was more concerned about my own well-being. Right? And we see that all the way through. It's constantly the, the theme as we go through these churches. Put before you an open door, because you have a little power. I've kept my word. You haven't denied my name. I'm going to cause the synagogue of Satan, who say they're Jews and are not, but lie. I make them come and bow down at your feet. Make them know I've loved you. Because you've kept the word of my perseverance, verse 10. You've obeyed my command to endure. I will also keep you from the hour of testing, which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. And of course, that understanding, I'm going to keep you from the hour of testing, the hour which is coming on the whole world, referring to the tribulation time. It works very well with a pre-trib rapture. It goes right together. And uh, those who deny the pre-trib also have to start cutting scriptures like that or making them say something they're not saying. They've earned a crown. They uh, have a reward. They've been protected. The Lord is going to watch over them and take them away and keep them from the hour of testing. First Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10. Just a kind of a cross-reference for you. For God has not destined us for what? What's it say? God's not destined us for wrath. That's not what He's desired for us, right? God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Now look at verse 12 of Revelation 3. He who overcomes, we know who that is, uh, the believer, those who have faith, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And these, this is just full of some wonderful information. I want you to just kind of, as you would read through this passage in your own Bible study, these are things that you should be underlining. You should say, wow, that's cool. Uh, these, these are kind of uh, illustrations of how the Lord values you. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. All these things will be part of your life, perhaps very soon, but certainly in your future, if you know Christ as your Savior. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A future home for the church-age saints is there with the Lord, and you don't have to go out anymore. And as essential and as integral as a pillar is to a building, so are the individuals who inhabit the New Jerusalem to it kind of church is the church in Philadelphia. That's the present age for John, present age for us. This is a church with great opportunity, perhaps missions or ministry. They didn't look like they had the ability to do it, but because they were faithful, the Lord gave it to them. Awesome. This is a faithful church. This is a church with only the appearance of a little power, but because they've been faithful, God's given them great spiritual resources. And they are using them because the Lord has opened doors. 
They've kept His Word. That's a key ingredient for everything else. His Word, absolutely preeminent. Even their enemies will submit to them, and they have obeyed Christ's command to endure. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap, if what? If we don't grow faint, right? That's my encouragement to you, beloved. Stick with it. Plug in. Use your spiritual gifts to bless the church. Find a place where you can serve. If you're not sure where, ask some of your friends who are currently serving. Give it a try. Plug in someplace. Come see me. I'll help you. They've earned a crown. They have a future home in the New Jerusalem, and they don't have to go out from it ever again. It's always been this kind of faithful church, beloved. There's always been a church just like this Philadelphian church. It says in verse 8 at the end, You've kept my word and have not denied my name. Those are great things to think about. This is a church that has an open door and went through it. It's a missionary church, and so it is a faithful church, and there have always been those kind of churches. Next week, we're going to look at what kind of city is the city of Laodicea. I'm going to go verse by verse through the passage to see what we can learn about what the Bible terms as a lukewarm church. And we'll look at it next time. Let's um, close in a word of prayer. Be dismissed to uh, fellowship or, or hospitality or whatever you're planning on doing tonight. Rest, ready for tomorrow, whatever your day may hold. Father, we thank you today for an opportunity to be in your word. We thank you that we can be part of the church age. It's marvelous to think about in all the ages that have come and all the things that have happened and all ways you've revealed to yourself that in this age you've chosen the church to be your instrument. And certainly it's not because we warrant any particular uh, grace from you or that we have something that uh, you needed and so you have to use us, but instead you have empowered us to do it. And as we submit to you, as we recognize your authority in our life and are able to submit, you then are able to use us in a, more fuller, in a much fuller sense. Father, help us individually to recognize that your word is most important and that not just to be a hearer, but a doer of your word. So when we read some certain part of your word in our time uh, daily that we spend, uh, help us to be about putting that into practice. And Lord, as we do that, we know that you can use us. And Lord, we look forward to that. We recognize that it is your choice to do it, that you are going to fulfill your own will, uh, that the things that you desire to do uh, will happen, and that you've chosen to use frail people made of clay uh, to do it. Lord, help us to be as much as that uh, we can submit our will to you. Help, uh, help us to be used in power for your name's sake until we see your son. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Have a great week.